Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to talk about a topic I think is critical for all really sincere Christians to understand in this day. Let's get started. Dateline, May 445 B.C. Jerusalem. They surveyed the surrounding wreckage with weeping and a deep sense of hopelessness. The older men knew they didn't have enough strength anymore to make a difference, and the younger ones, who were usually ready for anything, just stared blankly. It was, well, nothing was left standing. Crumbled stone and brick was strewn everywhere in huge mounds. At the same time, their neighbors hissed and mocked with surreal voices which rose and fell amid the din of the silent reality. Dateline, May 445 B.C., Shushan. It was a beautiful day. The splendid courts of the palace were alive with brilliant colors. Dazzling gardens in full bloom, courtiers in festive gowns, and everywhere, paintings, tapestries, and fountains dancing playfully with sparkling mist and bubbles. Melodious singing filled the air, and laughter seemed to play in the breeze. Here, in the court, Nehemiah was a trusted servant of King Artaxerxes I, who ruled the vast Medo-Persian Empire. The beloved capital of his people, Jerusalem, had been in ruins for some 70 years when the first group of faithful Jews returned to the land, and it was now about 92 years later. Having learned that the wall of the city was still broken down and its gates burned with fire, he wept and mourned. In those days, a city without walls and gates was not governable. It was an open prey to any and all who chose to abuse it. Likewise, we, as Christians, need walls. No, not walls between one another, but walls of defense against the spiritual enemies we face. Without them, we too are easy prey. The world, if you would, and or our own sin nature then has too much freedom to bother, bully, and oppress. Now, this idea of physical wall building around a city is rather foreign to us because military weaponry has made it obsolete today. However, this isn't the case with the spiritual. So let's consider the well-known wall building story here in Scripture to see what we can glean. You can go ahead and read the book of Nehemiah. Come back later. Now, Nehemiah, whose name means Jehovah has comforted, has long been considered by Bible scholars as a type or picture, both in name and action, of the Holy Spirit. And although this picture is evident in many ways, we're going to limit our consideration here in this to his main effort, building the wall surrounding Jerusalem. To begin, it's interesting to note that those who were oppressing the inhabitants of the area weren't concerned about them 
until someone arrived who wanted to help them. See Nehemiah 2, 9 and 10. That's how it is in the spirit as well. You'll generally discover spiritual opposition when you demonstrate a desire to be separate from the world, so to speak. As long as you blend in, the opposition isn't concerned. Now, these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah, who epitomize the opposition, are interesting pictures as well. They vociferously challenge the wall-building knowing it will end their corrupt domination. Now, Sanballat's name means sin, or the moon god, has given life. As such, he's clearly representative of the sinful world and the lusts of it. Tobiah, on the other hand, means goodness of Jehovah, hmm, and is a representation of the traitorous compromiser or compromising sin nature. Both these enemies, the ungodly world around us and our own sin natures, are menaces to our wall building in the spirit. In Nehemiah chapters 2 through 6, we see that their tactics are, and I'll go through them one at a time. First, accusation. Check out Nehemiah 2.29. Just as they accused Nehemiah of rebelling against the king, a tactic that had worked before in Ezra chapter 4, we are often reminded of our own sin and rebellious failings as we seek to build our own spiritual wall. Next, mockery. See Nehemiah 4, 1 and 2. This is intended to belittle, to make us believe that we're not up to the task of building, to disbelieve the scripture that says, Quote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Next, doubts and degrading. See Nehemiah 4.3. This is used to set us up to believe that our work in obedience to the Lord is worthless and meaningless, which is absolutely not true. Check out 1 Corinthians 15.58. Next, anger. Threatened attacks and confusion. Nehemiah 4, 7 and 8. Now this is for intimidation. However, we must remember that there's a big difference between what the enemies threaten or plan and what they can actually do. Always remember, our Father is on the throne. Check out Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Well, next is fear. Nehemiah 4, 10-12 When our faith fails, fear becomes an effective weapon. This is when we need to be reminded that, quote, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a strong mind. That's 1 Timothy 1, 7. And also, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The next, distractions. Nehemiah 6, 1-4. through 4. Now this is a powerful strategy. If our enemy can just get us in a dialogue, whoa, remember that's exactly what happened to Eve back in the garden. Next, lies and character assassination. Nehemiah 5-9. through 9 and 10 through 13, 
These are saved until the end because they are the big guns, so to speak. By this point, the work of the wall building is nearly complete, and this is used to focus attention upon the wall builder, to accuse him of self-righteousness, self-promotion, to get people to believe that the motive and thus the character of the wall builder is suspect. Our motives must always be loving obedience to our Lord, never self-satisfaction or elevation. However, in submission to Nehemiah's guidance, the people who built displayed the following characteristics. I'll go through them one by one. First, courage. Nehemiah 4.14 Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, that all that you do be done with love. That's 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. Next, guarding, Nehemiah 4.13. This is alertness. You can check out 2 Timothy 4.5 to know more about that. Next is readiness, Nehemiah 4.16 through 18. By laboring with weapons in one hand, they were an example of diligence and preparedness. The Bible tells us that the weapons of our warfare are spiritual and that we are to be at the ready as well. Next is honesty and cooperation. Nehemiah 4, 19 and 20. You know, truthfulness about our wall building, especially in prayer, is paramount. It can be a big task. As one of my pastors used to say, we're all projects. It doesn't help to pretend you're together when you know you're not. Next, a mind to work. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. This pictures faith and perseverance. And lastly, clothed. Nehemiah 4.23. What? Clothed? Yes. This pictures putting full confidence in the robe of Christ's righteousness, wearing it and never putting it aside. As a consequence, the wall surrounding Jerusalem was completed in just 52 days. Now this is pretty radical, for that's the exact time between Christ's death on the cross and the outpouring of his spirit on Pentecost. That is, you can think of it, it's the period between when the veil or barrier between God and man was torn open and the separation or barrier between the redeemed and the world was made obvious through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Selah, that means think about it. Now, it's important to understand that as we're discussing wall building, that we aren't talk of talking about erecting some fortress mentality, either individually or corporately, with respect to evangelism or our call to be salt and light in the world. Rather, we're dealing with the real pragmatic need for spiritual defenses and personal holiness. So, what do these walls represent? I'll suggest that they picture the strength or integrity of our mind or soul. You see, that's where the battles are really fought, aren't they? And the gates representing our reasoning, reckoning, or judgments, entry points, so to speak. In fact, the Hebrew word for gate is derived from the verb meaning to reason, think, or reckon. Now, David in Psalms 51 
after confessing his sin with Bathsheba, the failing of his own character, prays, quote, Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. And in Psalms 122 we read, quote, Peace be within your walls. And reminded of the scripture, quote, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's Isaiah 26, 3. So, how then are my walls built? I know the Bible says to, quote, gird up the loins of your mind. That's 1 Peter 1, 13. But practically, what does that mean? Hypnosis? Psychotherapy? Primal scream? <laughs> no. <laughs> to answer that, let's look at who built the wall with Nehemiah. You know, there are exactly 52 named individuals or groups who labored on the wall. Hmm. Some commentators try to create some pretty exotic interpretations of this, and others are almost cynical in countering that there's nothing symbolic to be derived. Well, I'll tell you what I believe you can decide for yourself. I've studied each individual and group and something consistent and powerful emerges. All of them have names that clearly speak of, get this, a condition or attitude of the redeemed. I won't cover them all. You can do that as you have opportunity. But let's look at a few representatives. Eliashib means God restores. Zakur and the sons of Hassanah combine to mean he's mindful that we're sons of Thorny. That is, sons of Adam, if you would. Jehoiada means Jehovah knows. Meshulam means friend. Melatia means Jehovah delivered. Jadon means thankful. Uziel means my strength is God. Hanania means God has favored. Rephiah means healed of Jehovah. Jediah means praise of Jehovah. Malkiha means my king is Jehovah. Hashabiah and Bevai combine to mean Jehovah has considered my goings. Azariah means Jehovah has ransomed. Zadok means righteous. And Shemaiah means heard by Jehovah. There, that's the list I'm going to go over. On and on it goes. Each one amplifies the unified chorus of the redeemed. And as such, I'll suggest that they pretty dramatically represent the attitudes that edify the saint individually and the church corporately. You know, the scripture says, quote, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's Philippians 4.8. So are you telling me that by adopting the attitude of the redeemed, by being heavenly minded, that I build my walls of spiritual defense, that I'm sanctified and I become a major threat to the enemy of my soul? Yes, sir. That's what I'm saying. Okay. But I feel like I'm in a continual building project. I get a wall up and then there's a breach to fill again. What's up? Well, breaches are the consequences of sin. In this life, our walls crumble because they are made of, if you would, stone and brick. 
They're earthy and imperfect. However, we must rebuild them again in faith. Faith that believes the truths expressed in the names of these men and women of Nehemiah. And as long as we're here, we'll need to continue a maintenance schedule, if you would. Continue believing, really believing, that we are redeemed and forgiven. I don't mean believing because we've prayed a specific prayer or said the right words, had the right attitude, or read the right scriptures. That's all good. But we're not forgiven because God has to and therefore does so grudgingly. We're not forgiven because of some sort of legal technicality or loophole. But the enemies of our souls... That's exactly what they want us to believe. If they can't convince us that we're lost, they want us to believe our sins are bad enough to diminish God's love toward us, that the cross may atone for them, but... Now, you may have carried some baggage around with you for quite some time, believing just that. You know, I did. You know your own earthiness, your own character flaws and failures. You know your own breaches and that you've been careless in guarding the gates at times. Oh, you know you're forgiven, but you subtly doubt you're still ravishing in God's sight, still loved as passionately. You know you're accepted, but doubt that you'll be welcomed in. Listen, friends, you are accepted and forgiven in Christ because God loves you furiously, relentlessly, unabashedly, inexhaustibly. Read Ephesians 1, 3-6 and believe it. And although your present walls consist indeed of stone and brick, that's our present condition, God sees the end result, the walls of your new Jerusalem. You can see Revelations 21, 12 through 21. They're magnificent, clear, sparkling gems. They speak of your heavenly wall, your heavenly character. Huge, perfect pearls that portray the endless covering of your grit by His grace. Now, a final thought. Isaiah prophesies that one day, quote, You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. That's heavenly mindedness, isn't it? Think about it. Now, may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.